0: You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported.
1: Community Radio for South Central Indiana.
2: Good afternoon.
3: Reporting for WFHB, this is Cade Young. And I'm Deke Hager. This is the WFHB local news for monday november twenty eighth, 2022.
4: if we're going to build a new jail and it's going to have all the services that we are talking about it's got to be somewhere where people can easily get to it to help provide those services that's my thought
2: later in the program the community justice response committee continued their
3: discussion of the proposed site for a new jail more in today's feature report also coming up in the next half hour we have some recent prison-related news and announcements from the producers of Kite Line, our public affairs program devoted to prison issues in the Midwest and beyond. But first, your daily headlines.
2: At the Monroe County Public Library Board of Trustees meeting on November 16th, Director
5: Greer Carson gave his monthly report on the library. Some highlights for this month. The page views for our MCPL digital site doubled from September to October. This is our own collection of unique digitized items, which lives on a ContentDM site, ContentDM being the industry leader in digitization, hosting, and metadata support. And as we talked about briefly before, uh, it currently features our area school yearbooks, including Bloomington High School from 1908 to 72, then the North and South split from 73 to 2000. It also includes Ellettsville High School from the 30s through the mid-60s, and then what became Edgewood High School from 65 to 2018, and the Steinsville High School from 1933 to 1963. So we uh, continue to fill the gaps in the yearbook collection wherever we can, and we are looking to upload digitized copies of the graphic, which is the Unionville High School yearbook, by the end of this year. We do continue to see a positive correlation between our monthly e-library resource feature and its respective page views. This month's example is Freegal, which saw a 26% increase in page views. As you might expect, the correlation between the monthly feature and the actual use of the resource in question is somewhat less consistent, but we do see varying degrees of increases each month and depending on the resource itself. So we know that this is an effective marketing technique. Our shelf reading project in Circulation Services has resumed. This is a schedule of shelf reading that we maintain throughout the year to ensure that each physical collection is in proper order on the shelves. It's a very important part of the Circulation Services Department's work, and it contributes to the accessibility of our collections. Materials are kept in the right order and are spaced appropriately from shelf to shelf. The companion to shelf reading, of course, is weeding. And this is something we also like to adopt in terms of an ongoing schedule. It's really the combination of careful weeding and consistent shelf reading that makes a physical collection accessible and attractive to patrons. So we're glad to resume that process. Our children's patrons voted on an in house toy as part of the summer reading program, and the Ozobots were the winner. So these are tiny robots. Uh, and there are two different types. There's bits, and then there's a larger, more sophisticated version. So we're doing the, the OzoBots bits. They're about the size of a golf ball. The kids sign them out at the desk and run them along paper tracks, uh, which makes them perform simple functions. And you can use the tracks to sort of create random answers to questions like a magic eight ball would. They're increasingly popular STEAM education tools because they help teach basic coding and an understanding of circuit design. Our teen zombie prom dance event, entitled A Night to Dismember, drew 75 attendees, 50 of whom arrived in the first 20 minutes. I think that's Mm -hmm. phenomenal. This is just one of the many ways our teen services department is engaging more and more teen patrons. Children's Services also held a Halloween dance party, and it was the first after-hours program that we have held for that audience. Also fantastic attendance, something like over 120 or 130 attendees, and that's fantastic. Our vital learner participation is now back to pre-pandemic levels. Thanks to our new vital staff members and our very dedicated vital volunteers, we're continuing to support adult literacy learners to the tune of 930 hours of free educational services from July through September. We held two special in-house events in October, uh, both at Lower Cascades Park the first was our annual fall staff cookout, which brings staff together outside of the library for an informal social event. And the second was our annual volunteer appreciation event, which allows us to express our deep appreciation for the nearly 200 volunteers we have here at MCPL. Also a very informal social event, and both were very well attended.
2: Board member Carrie Asari followed up on his report and asked if the vital program could be expanded to reach more people on the waiting list. Carson said they could work on getting more volunteer hours for the program.
4: I guess Vital is booming, which is amazing. And I know there are still quite a few families that are on the waiting list. Is there um, any way we can advertise to get more volunteers? Is that something that Someone does. Yes,
5: we have. Actually, the rain works a lot in volunteer coordination. Um, Bethany herself, of course, is heavily involved in that. And we can certainly look at ways we can meet those needs, maybe faster than we are. Um, because we have such a large, large pool of volunteers, yeah. and because vol- vital volunteering is a pretty specific thing, yes. I'm yes. not sure how and far we we'll go. they need training and all that. The kinds training's of a significant yeah. piece, but we yeah. can certainly take a look at that. Yeah, because there is a big need.
4: Yeah. Yeah. We've I know we have a refugee family that we're sponsoring from our church and the waiting list is quite lengthy. Yeah. But I mean, it just shows that the service is well loved. It
5: certainly does. Well, we'll we'll see what we can do with that in terms of bolstering volunteer hours for vital. The board continued their discussion
2: on employee health benefits. H.R. assistant manager Becky Throckmorton, informed the board on the work the managers did in collaboration with JA Benefits to assess the library's health insurance options.
6: Um, So following up from the work session um, last week, we had some really great questions on the overall budget. Um, And so I wanted to give a brief overview on that. Um, Just to summarize from last time. Um, We have been working all year to look at the benchmarking, all the data that we've got um, from staff feedback, surveys. Um, Our partnership with NFP has provided some very useful insights. Um, We went to market to bid for um, all of our plans with JA Benefits and their support. Um, We've reviewed all of the plans, um, looked at it based on the premium, the network, um, accessibility tools, plan designs, staff feedback, and market data to come up with our proposal.
2: Board member and treasurer David L. Ferguson asked about the health savings account cost over the years and why there has been so much variability. One staff member explained the reasoning behind the variance over time with the different needs of the staff.
0: There's several factors related to this and those 2021 2021. The rates increased, and we had less money to, um, to you know, provide. Also, we had, we were trying to save funds by doing this, and we know we found out that a lot of our staff shifted over to our PPO plan because they couldn't afford the high deductibles when they didn't have any money in their accounts. So then you have people either going to a more expensive plan, which is a PPO, or putting off health care and not seeking health care because they can't afford it. So this is um, an effort, especially since we have this opportunity with making the change to Anthem, that we can now provide more in the PPO. Our rates have gone down, and it's time to make that move. And we'll continue make assessments as we go through. As everybody knows, health care is... Every you know everybody's uh, making shifts, and so that that's what we're doing this year. But we did have a lot of people move over to the PPO plan, and it's the more expensive plan.
2: The next
3: Monroe County
2: Public Library Board of Trustees meeting will be held on December
3: fourteenth. On November sixteenth, at the Bloomington City Council meeting, the council discussed the petition from Peerless Development to vacate the alley next to the Johnson Creamery Building. Council Attorney Stephen Lucas explained the petitioner's proposal to give the city a separate alley in exchange for the alley vacation.
7: I believe the petitioner, uh, in response to comments at the July 20th meeting, has been uh, working to uh, pursue a relocation of of this alley. Uh, They they looked at a few different mechanisms, and I think they landed on this dedication of -of right-of-way as the most direct uh, route. Uh, in working with city staff, uh, they, uh, discovered that, uh, dedicating the, the blue strip first and then coming back to the council, uh, posed challenges. I think there were certain points of no return that they felt and, and, uh, uh, Mr. Cordero or, or Mr. Patrick can correct me if I'm wrong. They, they felt uncomfortable passing those points without uh, knowing that the council would, in fact, vacate the, the red portion. Uh, in addition, uh, there was a wrinkle that if they dedicated a new alley first, uh, they would have to dedicate. Uh, they were told, I understand, that they would have to dedicate that little white strip in between Uh uh, to make it contiguous and then come back to the council and ask that that plus the red portion be vacated. Uh, so there, there were these odd hiccups um, that led them to the point uh, where we are now, uh, where they would like, uh, they're requesting that the council vacate the, the existing alley uh, with the uh, intent that they will propose uh, dedicating the, the blue strip uh, next week. Uh, so if the council... Uh, was intending to uh, vacate uh, the existing alley uh, with the um, uh, hope that the city would accept a new alley shown in blue. Uh, That's why uh, Mr. Seabor is here tonight to explain the recommendation the Board of Public Works is is, uh, set to receive. Um, I I will note... um, uh, should the council vote to vacate uh, this alley tonight. Uh, I believe the petitioner is on the agenda for the November 22nd uh, next Tuesday Board of Public Works meeting uh, in, in working through this issue with uh, uh, engineering staff, with uh, city legal and the mayor's office. Um, I just want to note the mayor uh, does have a 10-day period from uh, the council's passage of an ordinance and the clerks presenting that to him to sign uh, or or veto the ordinance. Uh, so it, it may very well be the case that the mayor waits to see what happens at the Board of Public Works meeting to decide whether to, uh, to sign this ordinance. That's an option open to him. Uh, I think especially if the council indicates some desire um, uh, to make this vacation uh, depend on on the acceptance of the of a new alley, uh, that that's one avenue he can help facilitate. That the council tonight can can simply decide to vacate the existing alley, uh, and uh, that's that's the question before you. If you, if you would like to do so, uh, with the hope that the blue alley will be accepted by the board of public works, I'd encourage you to make that that clear tonight.
3: Councilmember Susan Sandberg asked if there would be any benefit to the public having the new alley Peerless has proposed or if there would be any consequences. City engineer Andrew Seibor responded that he does not think that there are many benefits to the public and said it would add additional work for the city to take care of the new alleyways.
0: I think the, the harm I think actually the, the peerless representatives touched on is, is just the potential of the long-term maintenance costs um, of taking that into the public's inventory, recognizing it as really serving a private property, it's not much different than if some I wanted to dedicate my driveway to the public. So now I don't need to maintain my driveway um, and now it's the taxpayer's responsibility. All right, Thank you for that.
3: Council member Steve Volin said that they already have the responsibility of maintaining the current alleyway and he didn't see a problem with maintaining the new alleyway since they would be swapping the alleys. Council member Matt Flaherty said he would vote to vacate the alley and that his decision was not contingent upon the inclusion of the new alley.
8: So applying the exact reasoning shared by the administration as to why they would not recommend dedication of the proposed blue alley, if we apply that reasoning, then, in fact, we should be voting to vacate the red alley tonight. Um, and that's what I intend to do. Uh, and... Um, I guess I should also clarify that for for me, my vote's not actually contingent on the dedication of the the Blue Alley either. Um, I'll defer to staff on their recommendation to the Board of Public Works. Um, If they don't think it's in the city's best interest at that point, again, applying that reasoning consistently, I think we should vacate. And if they want to recommend uh, a negative uh, finding for the BPW, that's okay with me. Um, I think also the fact we we kind of glossed over it and discussed this much in the past. Uh, we talked about affordable housing as one type of uh, uh, public benefit that we like to see potentially uh, in a context like this, but we didn't actually talk about the sustainability features that the um, project, uh, the, the design that's been approved, uh, will incorporate. Uh, so there's kind of two pathways to uh, the incentives portion of the unified development ordinance. There's an affordable housing component and there's a sustainability component. Um, so especially given the fact that um, the proposed design, as approved by plan, Com- Commission contingent on this alley vacation will incorporate those features and also be adding, um, yes, market rate housing, but in an uh, important uh, sort of downtown infill location, I think, uh, that aids uh, walkability um, and even for folks who drive uh, lower emissions generally because they're close uh, in proximity to, to amenities and jobs, uh, I think this is uh, enough of a public benefit that it, that it makes sense to me. The council voted to approve the petition in the case that the
3: Bloomington Plan Commission approves of the alley swap. The vote was 6-1 to one with Council Member Dave Rollo voting no on the alley vacation. The next Bloomington City Council meeting will be held on November 30th. During the November 21st meeting of the Community Justice Response Committee, Monroe County Commissioner Lee Jones reflected on the negative recommendation for the rezoning of the new jail by the Bloomington Plan Commission. Jones said that the measure now goes to the city council where she hopes it will pass.
1: I'm very sorry to say that um, the city plan commission forwarded our rezone request to the city council with a negative recommendation, which was to a very large extent based on technicalities of the sort that the city council doesn't really need to worry about. So I think it'll still get passed. I think it'll probably be passed by the city council, or at least I'm hoping. I don't want to be premature here. But even if it does, one of the things that we hadn't quite realized is that jails are only conditional uses everywhere in Bloomington, which means that we're going to have to take it to the BZA, the Board of Z- Bloomington Board of Zoning Appeals, um, once the City Council makes a decision. So our timeline has been set back a little bit, but we hope not irretrievably.
3: One member asked whether the proposed Fullerton Pike property would be the ideal for a new jail site. She asked about whether or not an 85-acre property on South Rogers Street would be a better fit, since that property has already been rezoned for conditional use as a jail. Jones replied that the property was considered as an option. However, a contract with Catalent and other plans for the location prevented it from being considered.
9: Okay, in terms of the land updates, uh, I did have a question about the Thompson property. The Bloomington City Plan Commission mentioned an 85-acre parcel of land already owned by the county that is closer to downtown and to supportive services that's actually already been rezoned uh, conditional use for a jail. Um, And jail would still be a conditional use. A conditional use, correct, which is greater than what we have for the Fullerton Pike Park Pike location, Correct right it's it's true for both of them except the land behind Catalan, that 85 acre parcel of land has already been conditionally zoned for a jail at least according to the city planning commission oh yeah
1: it probably has
9: um about well and so my question is about that property is um are we considering that property for the jail in light of the fact that, first of all, it's 85 acres, which is pretty substantial, especially considering the Fullerton Pike is 87, but we can't build on all of it due no. to slope, karst features? Um, in addition, it'd be uh, greater walking access, which is not just near closer to established transit lines but also in talking about walking access we're talking about sidewalks for safety when people are accessing the justice system it's also closer to supportive services um, than the fullerton Pike, and it's within city limits so i was just wondering about that property and whether or not it's being considered for the jail we that property has been considered for a jail in the past a
1: lot of it is not buildable and about, I, I'm i guessing about six, eight months ago, we um, signed a contract with Catalan who possibly want to buy a significant part of that, and we promised that we would keep it available for two years, so it's really not available right now. And besides that, that's an area that's very much surrounded by residential housing, which obviously makes it much harder because people don't really want a jail right in their neighborhood. Um, And we also are hoping to use a portion of it for affordable housing. So we have made other plans with that property.
3: Monroe County. Circuit Court Judge Catherine Stafford added that she believes the new jail should be located within city limits.
4: I just want to state that I I think, and again, speaking personally and not on behalf of the Board of Judges, I think it's essential that any new jail be built in the city center where it is going to be accessible to services. And I recognize that that will put it in the near other residential areas. For many years, I lived right downtown about four blocks from where the jail is currently, I don't believe that had a deleterious effect on people living downtown. I don't believe it's kept people from living downtown. If we're going to build a new jail and it's going to have all the services that we are talking about, it's got to be somewhere where people can easily get to it to help provide those services. That's my thought. Thank you.
3: Jones responded that the Fullerton Pike property is the main prospect for a new jail. She said that if plans for the site fall through, officials would need to look at locations further away from the city.
1: And I would have to say that it's a little different choosing to move in close to a jail than having a jail come into the middle of your community. Um, the, those kind of affect people a little differently. But at this time, we the Fullerton Pike property is what we're considering. There, We recognize there are problems with it. I just want to let you know that If we can't work out the problems with the Fullerton Pike property, we will probably have to move to a property out in the county, um, which in many ways might turn out to be a lot easier. And no further than the Fullerton property, but with certain disadvantages. And well, transportation is what we would have to really solve for the county, but that is a soluble problem. Um, So that's not our main concern right now.
3: Stafford expanded on her point of having a centrally located jail near the city. She made an analogy to the fight over where to place the courthouse in the 1980s. She said that making the courthouse downtown was the right decision and that she has concerns about the jail not being located near the city.
4: Again, I want to make a few points here on the record and publicly um, before we leave this topic. I recognize, of course, that the commissioners bear this decision and I'm speaking only for myself and not on behalf of the board of judges. I worry very much about an almost life as an almost lifelong Bloomington resident about the economic impact on downtown of the courts and the public defenders and the prosecutors and probation and then eventually all the law firms leave downtown. I think that's going to have a huge impact on downtown Bloomington. And I recall to your minds the fight that we had in the early 80s about whether the court should be downtown and how, what we should do with the courthouse. And I think we made the right choice then. And I encourage us to think carefully about it now. I worry very much about folks getting released from jail out in the middle of nowhere with no services, literally on the side of an interstate. I worry about the cost to the county of transporting inmates to their trials if we don't co-locate from the get-go. I worry that we will lose rather than gain community involvement if we are that far out of town. For example, in protection order hearings, I have people come in from Middleway House and observe almost every protection order hearing. I think that's critical. We have volunteer mediators for civil cases. We have law student clerks for every office, the judges, the public defenders, the prosecutors, let alone community programming for the jail. The site is beautiful. I think it has plenty of room. It's noisy with the highway, so it would need building planning to shield road noise from any outdoor use areas. Critically for staff, I think there are zero restaurants nearby and we will need a food court or cafeteria. I have a lot of concerns about it not being downtown.
3: During public comment, local resident Misty James shared her experience of being incarcerated and she expressed concerns about what treatment looks like after one leaves the jail. My
10: name is Misty James. I am a community member. I work with New Leaf, New Life. I uh, also work with Courage to Change Sober Living. I've also been in the jail uh, approximately, uh, I won't even say how many times, but um, I I suffered from substance uh, misuse disorder. I was arrested on, I've never, you know, I have no crimes against like people. Uh, Mine were like trespassing, so I was often in and out of there. Although I was never treated bad in the jail. I was treated well. Um, I, it was just like a revolving door for me. So like I got, um, it was a community that, that came together outside of the jail that, uh, you know, supported me. Um, she's here on zoom. Uh, I got judge Fawcett, judge Fawcett was the first judge to ever say, okay, maybe you, you want to go to treatment. So she gave me the option to go to treatment. The last time I was arrested was May 8th. 2019. I've never been arrested again. Uh, The first time that I was offered safety and security, I got better. And then I moved from Amethyst House to uh, Courage and Change Sober Living, which has um, up to a two-year program. Um, At the time I went there, it was up to a two-year program, and I learned a foundation of how to like live, you know, because I had this had been going on for decades with me. Um, I learned how to like survive in the, in the community. Right. Um, I think that community uh, like community resources are hugely helpful because I, you know, I'd like to know uh, personally, what's the average day in our County jail. And then at that time, I mean, people don't stay there forever. So what do we do past incarceration? What do we do to support them? And, you know, I slept in a tent behind pet boys uh, approximately three years. And that was, uh, and before that, I was just homeless on the street. And now uh, because outside of the jail organizations like new leaf, new life, like uh, courage to change, sober living, I have my own house. Um, I'm a productive member of society. I go to work. I play with my kids and my birds, you know, I do, I do normal things. So like, what can we do as a community community? Uh, to help folks who are coming out of incarceration because most of the people who are in jail right now are not going to stay there and they're going to need help when they leave. So that's like where my concern is.
3: Executive Director of Courage to Change Sober Living Marilyn Grimes shared a similar concern about what happens when someone is released from the carceral system.
6: My name is Marilyn Grimes. I'm from this community for all my life. Um, I was incarcerated. I got uh, in recovery. Uh, in 2008, I got arrested. and So I did go to prison. Um, when I came home, wasn't my goal to do sober living, but I seen a lot. And um, so in 2016, myself and another person uh, started Courage to Change Sober Living. We have two men's houses, two women's houses. I see that we have applications come in constantly. We have online ca- applications. I know we have at least 20 to 30 a month. There's the government's putting a lot of money into treatment. 30 days treatment does nothing. So all these people are going to treatment and then they have no place to go. And if they have, if we put, could put some more money into having sober living where they can have a whole year to change what's happening in their life, to learn how to, a a lot of the clients now are younger people. You know, they've started out in addiction. They don't know how to live life. They don't know what to do. And they just need someone to help them. The state has recovery works funding for felonies um, that pays $8,000 for housing. That gives them a year of assistance. Um, They have to work when they come to our place within two weeks of coming to us. So, you know, they absolutely get into a structured lifestyle and learn the things that need to be learned and coming straight out of jail and then being put on the streets. Our houses are in different uh, areas, Highland Village, South Rogers. They're in neighborhoods. We have good neighborhood policies. The people that live with us actually learn how to be good neighbors. People don't even know we're we're sober living because our clients, you know, that are living there are changing what they're doing and they're proud of what they're doing. You know, they're actually, so, I mean, I I know it sounds like I'm trying to help our organization and it's not really that I really just think funding needs to go to sober living for people coming out of jail. We have drug court, Uh, reentry court. We have a lot of clients that are doing those kind of programs, and I think it's needed, but they also need a place to go.
3: The Community Justice Response Committee will further discuss the proposal for a new jail during its next meeting on December 5th.